Welcome to our online service at Five Stones Church. I'm Pastor Rich. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, we're going to turn to the message time. And uh, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, either in your printed Bibles or your digital Bibles. And as you do that, let me just make a few comments this morning with regard to the very, very difficult events that happened in the States um, this past week. Of course, um, if you turned on the TV, you were horrified like everyone else around the world about the riots that was happening at the Capitol. I think that um, it was unprecedented, it was scary, it was disgusting, and really it's one of the darkest moments in U.S. history. Unfortunately, five people were killed, and they literally broke into the congressional chambers and took places of honor that was not for them to take. But the worst part of this was that the sitting president, President Trump, stoked their actions. Uh, in effect, he encouraged lawlessness in order to preserve his own position of power and to deny the election results so that he could remain president and that President-elect Biden would be denied becoming the 46th president of the United States. The very person who should have been preserving law and order and preserving peace as the highest officer in the land did the opposite and acted like a hoodlum. It's something that the world never thought would or could happen. And there's so much that will be said and analyzed about this situation, but for us as the church, it's really incumbent upon us to pray for peace, um, for all that's going on in terms of the turmoil and the difficulties that are happening there, that there can be a, a peaceful transition on January 20th. So in a moment here when I open in prayer, I'm going to include uh, the United States in my prayer. So in 1 Samuel 17, we are two now messages into our series from the life of David. And I want to read these uh, verses here, starting in verse 45. David said to Goliath, You came to me with a sword and spear and saber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Then it happened. When the Philistine came closer to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone penetrated his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him. So this morning I want to talk about knowing God from the life of David, and uh, let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the timelessness of your word. We thank you that it speaks to us, encourages us. No matter how many times we read your word, your Holy Spirit takes it and just gives us something fresh and new. And so we ask for fresh man on this morning. We pray, God, from these passages and from these scriptures, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, you would draw us in closer and closer to you. And as we pray this morning, we remember our neighbors to the south, and we pray for the peace, Father God of the United States, and we pray for a peaceful transition on January 20th. We pray that you would give wisdom to the leaders in the United States, and we pray that you would give peace to President Trump. We commit our time to you now in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as humans, we are in constant pursuit of knowledge and mastering something. This is how we get jobs, how we make money. 
And it's why we go to school, trade schools, colleges, universities, uh, to increase our earning power and to climb the ladder of success. As you know, I love science. That's my background. I had a career in diagnostics and pharmaceutics. I got two degrees in it. I put a lot of time and energy into gaining knowledge in these areas. In fact, during this COVID time, one of the hottest biotech companies is right here in Vancouver called Antibody Solera, which is working on antibody therapeutics for coronavirus. The reason why I'm so excited about this is because antibodies are my love and my passion. It was a key part of my work as an immunologist. If I was back in my 20s, I would jump at the opportunity to work at this company, which is right in downtown Vancouver. Now, over Christmas, my son got interested in a side hustle, refurbishing keyboards and customizing them for gamers. He's done a lot of research to understand what makes for a great keyboard, the materials that are to be used, the keycaps, the distance that it travels to the click, and how these components impact that all-important sound and feel when you type. He's building knowledge in a very niche area. My wife Mimi has been spending tons of hours researching on how to grow lemon trees, understanding soil moisture, pH levels, light exposure, pest resistance, how little spiders need to be expelled from their leaves, pruning techniques, failure rates of buds. I had no idea that there was all this knowledge out there about lemon trees. Knowledge is powerful. It's exhilarating. Gives us identity, purpose, and know-how, whether it's in science, repurposing keyboards, or growing lemons. How much more then should we be going hard after knowing God? Indeed, there's no greater knowledge in life than knowing God. And we're going to see its power and impact in a moment. Now, if you've been a member of our church and you've gone through our E1 class, you know how much this story of David and Goliath means to us. We have a, a painting that was specially commissioned in our hallways. Every, even our church name is derived from this epic story where David chose five smooth stones from the brook in his battle against Goliath. It's where we got our apostolic blueprint and the foundation for our church planning initiatives. That's how consequential this story is to us. But that's on an organizational level. This morning I want to talk about this story on a personal level and help us see how David's fame was rooted in knowing God and how that knowing releases us to experience life in an exponential way. This past week, I was listening to my good friend, Pastor Samuel of Banner Church in Taiwan. He's battling cancer, and according to the diagnosis, he's on just the last few months of his life, so if you remember him, please pray for him. But here he was on stage preaching, and he was talking about how Christians are not called to live a two-dimensional life, but that we are called to live a three-dimensional life, a 3D life. And knowing God is about living the 3D life. And how was it that David could defeat Goliath in the plains of Elah? Because he spent time knowing God in the fields of Bethlehem. His days in the pasture, tending the sheep, was a key foundation and a secret to his life. It's where he grew in his knowledge of God. And I want to call out some key pillars to knowing God that we can see and discern from David's life. The first pillar that I want to draw our attention to is that David embraced the quiet and solitude of the fields. 
He embraced his alone time with God in the evenings as the sheep lay in rest. In fact, David wrote in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. As moderns, we scarcely know how to cope with quiet. We always have to have some noise in our ears, some music playing, some podcast going, some YouTube clips streaming, some TV show on. We just can't be quiet. Well, if you're always listening to something, how can you be listening to God? For the sheer hours we have audio sounds coming into our ears, this is the same amount of of time that we can't be hearing from God. From a purely practical time perspective, because David had no iPod, no iPad, didn't have Spotify, didn't have the internet, he had so much more time to be still and hear from God. In fact, this morning during our prayer time, one of our tech team members had a picture of someone just laying on the grass and just oil coming up from the ground. And I think that that's such a great picture of how when we're in rest in God, when we capitalize on quietness, the Lord can refresh us. David had the treasure of time and he made good on it. And it's important for us to shut off all the background noise and be still so that we can hear God's voice. Second thing that we see here is that David communed with God through nature. We are so blessed to be living on the West Coast. We have mountains and oceans, world-class, fresh air. One of the things I love about getting off the plane after my travels, which now has been over a year, is coming back to the fresh air of Vancouver. There's nothing like it. And David was constantly bathed in nature as a shepherd. And because nature is created by God, God has baked into it his very presence, his peace, his rejuvenating power. We all know the restorative power of taking a walk in the forest or a park. There is a beauty and a quality to nature that cannot be had anywhere else. It's unique to God. And Romans 1.20 tells us that creation declares the very attributes of God. Creation is God's first telling of the gospel, broadcasting to the world that God is here, that God is in this place that we call life, that we call planet Earth. David said in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Where did David get this phrasing? From his nightly enjoyment of the starlit skies as he watched over the flock. As he was immersed and enveloped in God's handiwork. His knowledge of God kept increasing day by day and night by night as the heavens poured out knowledge to him as to who Jehovah was. It was inaudible and yet so audible. The skies were God's amphitheater and David was enthralled by God's dazzling nightly speeches that were free of charge and available to all who listened. 
third thing that we see here. David multiplied his understanding of God through meditation on the law, specifically the Pentateuch. Penta means five, tuch means the books, the first five books of the Bible that were written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now remember when David was alive, that's the only part of the Old Testament, the only part of the Bible that was published for him to study. There was no prophets. There was no history. There was no New Testament. It was through the law that God gave David deep revelation and wisdom. It was through the law that David learned about God's nature and character. It was through the law that David learned about God's mercy and compassion, patience and justice. It was through the law that David learned about holiness and duty and loving one's neighbor. It was through the law that David learned about morality and conscience and right and wrong and idolatry. It was through the law that David learned about sin and reconciliation. All this from the first five books of the Bible. There was no Romans. There was no Galatians. There was no theological teaching from the Apostle Paul. There was no explanation from Jesus. Just as he meditated in the fields about these verses and about these scriptures, God was speaking to him and growing his knowledge in who the Lord was. Having quiet time and time on his hands, it allowed David to love the Lord with all his mind and to reflect and ponder deeply for prolonged periods on God's truth, which then penetrated his heart. This is why the first psalm of David extols the law. It's a first pillar in knowing God. Psalm 1 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight. God, I relish it. I revel in it. I can't wait to get to it. Like when I was a kid, I just, and I still love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I can't wait to go home after a, a day at school and I just want to have that peanut butter jelly sandwich. And I think about it and I already imagine the taste in my mouth. And this is David. I delight in the law of the Lord. It's like a peanut butter jelly sandwich. It's like, a fresh fruit from the tree. And he says that when you meditate on it day and night, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. We're not talking about instantaneous results here. We're talking about diligence that's required. But when it comes, the leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. When we meditate and put our roots down in the Scripture, there is uninterrupted fruitfulness and effectiveness. David grew his knowledge through the word of God. Fourth thing that we see here is that he feared the Lord. Not in a sense of punishment, but in the sense of deep respect, honor, and submission. Out of the weight of revelation that came from his meditations, he saw how small his own intellect was in comparison to the height and breadth and depth of God's thoughts. And as God downloaded his thoughts into David, his insights into man's nature became keen and sharp because God showed him from his Bethlehem surroundings, from nature, gave him divine analogies. Just as sheep were wayward, so was man. Just as sheep go astray, so man strays and is motivated by sin. 
Just as sheep will be eaten alive unless a shepherd protects and rescues them, so man can't help himself or save himself. David understood Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you wonder why the Bible seems dry, if you wonder why I'm not learning that much, maybe it's a heart issue. You have to come into the fear of the Lord. David's heart was totally surrendered to God. His intellect was totally surrendered to God. His will was totally surrendered to God. That's what it means to fear the Lord. As a result, David excelled in the knowledge of God because God was just pouring himself into the young shepherd boy. We see also that David loved and cultivated the presence of God. As intellectually delightful as God was, just as much was God's tangible presence. And this is where modern day Christians sorely miss out on God. They neglect to grow their knowledge of God, as well as through his presence. They don't have equal parts of spirit and truth. It's just truth. But David did not make that mistake. He was heart and head. Of course, one of the most famous verses he wrote was from Psalm 27. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek. That was David's bucket list. You know, this is such a popular turn. Oh, if what would be on your bucket list? What would be the last few things that you would want to do? And David said, here's my bucket list. It's just one thing that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to abide, to just take my time, to enjoy and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Psalm 26, he reinforces this. Lord, I love the dwelling of your house and the place where your glory remains. You know, when you're in someone's presence, it's hard to describe how much more you learn about them in comparison to reading about them or hearing about them. I've had the opportunity to meet some famous people in my life, and I can say that in most cases, I'm disappointed. They don't match the reports about them. But with Jesus, it's the opposite. God far surpasses what you've heard or been told. And that's what the presence of God does. It elevates your knowledge of him to a completely different level. This is how David grew in his knowledge of God. Worship was always a priority for him. In fact, we can safely argue that the signature feature of King David as a king was calling the people to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The presence of God is transformative. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, that's, it's how we are changed from glory to glory to behold continually the face of God. You know, I think David's sheep were probably the most blessed sheep in the world, listening to him every evening as he played the harp. Worship is a revelation and knowledge generator of God. So what happens when you cultivate these disciplines and habits and excel in your knowledge? Well, Daniel 3, Daniel 11, verse 32, gives us this really powerful connection and pivot point. And it says that the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Meaning, doing exploits, that is doing great deeds for God, will be a natural outcome of your relationship with God. Just a natural 
outcome. And this is exactly what we see happening in the story with David and Goliath. He gives us a powerful and exciting picture of what doing exploits looks like. So let me touch on a few of these things. First is that you have faith when others have fear. 1 Samuel 17.32, David said to Saul, who is the presiding king, may no one's heart fail on account of him, referring to Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. So when you know God, you see differently. Remember when the ten spies came back with a bad report? We're like grasshoppers. We're just these little bitsy bugs and we're going to get stomped on and crushed. And they're like giants. Those spies did not have the eyes of faith like Joshua and Caleb. They had the eyes of fear. And this was exactly the feeling of Saul's soldiers. Goliath is so huge and we are so little. Run, chicken, little, run. But David was not living by his own sight and senses. He was living by God's perspective because he knew God. When you know God, he brings you up. When you know God, he invites you to his seated position. When you know God, you are seated with him in heavenly places. This is what we learn in Ephesians. You see as God sees. You have a completely different vantage point. Goliath thought that he was the giant in the situation, but what Goliath didn't realize was that David was God's giant in the situation. Goliath was actually the midget. When you know God, you have dominion over fear. Fear does not have dominion over you. His Holy Spirit governs your emotions, your thoughts, and your actions because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. David was fearless because he was filled with the Spirit of God. Second thing here. You possess a divine confidence which no one else has. Verses 37 and 40. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will save me from the hand of this Philistine. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag which he had, that is, in his shepherd's pouch. And his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Now note what's going on here. David's reference point was not the bigness of Goliath's nine-foot frame, that's how tall he was, or his 125 pounds of armor, Made of bronze, that's how much it weighed. The Bible says that his, his spear was so large it was like a beam. It was topped off with a 15-pound iron tip. That's what everyone was looking at. That was their reference point. But David's reference point was not that. His reference point was the lion and the bear that he had killed and the sling and the staff that God had trained him in. That's what gave him confidence. And it tells us how much is determined by our focus. And this is what caused David to be different from his peers. David excelled above his brothers. He had several of his brothers that were also in the army that were also looking at Goliath. He excelled above Saul's infantry, above Saul's captains, above Saul's generals, and above Saul the king himself. 
Do you see what knowing God does? It gives us a different focal point, which makes all the difference. And it's highly practical and relates to everyday life. David's hands were trained to win in war, as it says in Psalm 144. Just as God put a sling and a staff and a pouch in David's hand, so he does the same for you and me. I can hear David talking to God as he was working on his aim. Oh, a little more to the left, a little more to the right. I got to work on the speed of my revolutions. Oh, I need to release it at this point in my arc. This stone will work better for different distances. We all have slings that God trains us in. It might be baking cookies. That cookie, nope, that's, that's, I can't serve that. It's got to have a little more sugar, a little more vanilla. Your sling might be praying, fasting, and interceding for brothers and sisters or a difficult situation. Your sling might be the gift of healing or a word of prophecy. Or your sling might be fixing cars. God doesn't want you to fix cars if your gift is baking cookies. He wants you to use your sling and not someone else's armor to take out the Goliaths of discouragement or intimidation that's in other people's lives. This is how we do exploits for God. We confidently use our gifts in tandem with God's spirit to slay giants. A third thing here. When you do exploits, you bring glory to God and not yourself. The verse says here that David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a saber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Wait a minute, David, didn't you just say, I'm going to win over this big dude because I've got a sling, because I've got rocks, and I've got dead aim. That's not what he said. That was part of his equipping, but when he went to war, he acknowledged it was God's power that was at work. And despite your God-given gifts and confidence, it's not about you. You know where your gifting comes from. You don't draw attention to yourself. You point the way to God. You bring Him honor and glory, not yourself. David didn't try and become an Instagram star and post a picture of Goliath's head. He left his feed blank so the glory would go to God and not him. We also see this point here, that when you do exploits for God, you finish what you start and you end strong. Verse 50 and 51, David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in David's hand. So then David ran and stood over the Philistine. So the stone that hit him in the head knocked him out. And David said, I've got to finish the job. So he stands over Goliath, took his sword, drew it out of the sheath, and finished him. And cut off his head with it. David moved with such lightning speed, Goliath couldn't even take the sword out of his sheath. It was over in a second. And David secured the victory. Now, you can't finish any stronger than cutting off the head of a giant. And this is an important lesson in knowing God. It's not some esoteric exercise walking around with our heads in the clouds. 
No, rather we get things done. We make things happen. We traffic well on earth because of knowing our God in heaven, not in spite of it. You hear the phrase, oh, that person is so spiritually minded, he's no earthly good. That's not a biblical statement. The more spiritually minded you are, the more earthly good you are. And this is probably one of the most overlooked aspects of the law in Old Testament scriptures. It's how practical and rooted in life it is. How many of you have read Leviticus? I see all your hands. Praise the Lord. Now, yes, it may seem tedious with its rules for sacrificing and the priests, but keep reading. And you'll find some incredible instructions about practical, real-life living. Leprosy, public health guidelines, menstruations, discharges, how to deal with deaf people, how to help feed foreigners, tattoos. Yeah, tattoos is in Leviticus. And much, much more. Did you know that Jesus will judge the nations by whether they have fed people, gave them water to drink when they were thirsty, clothed them when they were naked, or visited them in prison when they were sick? You can't get more practical in loving your neighbor than that. God is not going to give them a Bible quiz. Doing exploit leads to tangible results, as we see here with David. Jesus was a finisher. Paul was a finisher. The apostles were finishers. When you know God, you get the job done and finish the task. Exiting early early is not doing an exploit. Just participating is not doing an exploit. Exploits don't become exploits without a finish. We have to persevere to the end. We have to make good on what we started. Fifthly, You release a breakthrough spirit and blessing to the people around you. Verse 51, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Then the men of Israel and Judah rose up and shouted, and they pursued the Philistines as far as the valley to the gates of Ekron. And the Philistine dead lay along the way to Shariam, even to Gath and Ekron. Then verse 53, then the sons of Israel returned from their close pursuit of the Philistines and plundered their camps. When you know God, your life brings blessing to many. You bring breakthrough moments to others. It's a natural outcome. You serve, you pray, you obey, and it triggers a chain reaction. You don't want your life just to be about you. That's a small way to live life. That's a worldly way to live. That's a shallow way. That's a selfish way. But that's not what David did. He literally risked his life in battle. He could have been killed by Goliath. It's so easy just to read over this and celebrate and jump and clap for David. Wow, that's amazing. You have to slow yourself down and realize David could have got killed. He literally risked his life. The story could have been about a young teenager being slaughtered by a bloodthirsty giant. And that would have only emboldened the Philistines to continue to intimidate the nation of Israel. And would have been a massive embarrassment for Israel. What is King Saul doing? Sending a boy into battle. But David put it all on the line. And that's living life to the max. And that's what knowing God does. 
God doesn't want you to live that shallow life, boring life. David's actions here inspire us to sacrifice our lives for God. And oh, by the way, a lot of people get blessed along the way. Because of David's actions, the whole nation was released. The whole nation went and plundered the camp. The whole nation went to another level of freedom and liberty. The broader context of what happened was that King Saul had taken over. He was taking over territory, but he got stuck when it came to the Philistines. Saul was the first monarch. He was establishing himself in a brand new system of government. And all the foreign armies and all the foreign countries began to see this is an opportunity where they're vulnerable. We're going to snuff them out before they can survive. And so when they came up against the Philistines, they didn't know what to do. But David provided the breakthrough moment. And as a result, the whole nation got blessed. And as a result, the whole succession of kings was set in motion because of David. When we know God and when we obey God, we do exploits. And when we do exploits, other people are going to get blessed. Let me close with these thoughts. David's win over Goliath made gigantic headlines. But people could have easily missed why it happened. The size of the victory was commensurate to the size of God in David's life. And God's prominence in the young man's life was due to him knowing God. Beloved, God is offering every one of us the opportunity to know him as David did. This is not some elite opportunity. This is not where you have to draw for some lottery number to get in. Every single one of us can know God in this way. For you and me, right here in Vancouver, right here in our church, God wants us to draw near and to be ruddy and annoyingly beautiful and handsome. I love just the way that the words are put together in this account and talks about how when David went to encounter Goliath, the Philistine looked and saw David and he disdained him. He despised him for he was a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. Listen, when you do things for the Lord and when you get to know him, you're going to be annoyingly beautiful. You're going to sling your five stones. You're going to take down giants. You know, there's always going to be giants in the land, always. In your life, in your family's life, in your friend's life. But if God is in you like he was in David, then watch out. Because no ugly thing can stand before you or your friends. Do you want to know God more? Last week I talked about giving God all of your heart. In many ways, 2021 could be about What's the condition of our heart? Where is our dedication to God? Are we fading or are we gaining? Are we decreasing or are we decreasing? God wants us to increase. He wants us to know Him more. God has torn the veil, the Scripture says. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn so that we could go directly to God without a priest, without any intermediary, you and me. Well, you can know God deeply if you practice what David did, to embrace the quiet and solitude of the fields, to get shut in with God, to commune with the Lord through nature, get off your screens, get out there. You know, there are camps out there now to detox kids that are so addicted to their screens. 
They don't know how to play in the jungle gyms. They don't know how to make sand castles. They literally have to go to a detox camp but they're, because they're so addicted. And God has given us the biggest screen that we can ever look at. The skies, the mountains, and the oceans. David multiplied his understanding of God through meditation on the law. Love the Lord with all your mind. He feared the Lord. And this is one of the, the great controversies that we have in society, is the whole idea of submitting ourselves to God. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a lemming and just follow whatever God says. That perspective is so wrong and so erroneous. You don't realize the wisdom that God has for you. Fearing the Lord needs to be close to your chest and close to your heart. And David loved and cultivated the presence of God. You start putting these into practice on a daily basis. Then slaying giants is what you will do in the morning after you've delivered the groceries. Now lest you think I'm just throwing that phrase in. This actually comes from verses 17 through 20. I encourage you to go back and read those verses. Slaying giants is what you'll do in the morning after you've delivered the groceries. Father, we thank you for the life of David. We thank you how such a young man could speak to us so clearly and so loudly and so inspirationally. Lord, this, this morning, as we've heard from Scripture, how you invite us to know you more deeply. We want to say yes and amen. Take a moment right now and just search your heart. What are the things that are holding you back from knowing him? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it lack of discipline? Whatever it might be, just allow God to speak to you and to know that God is there to remove the stone. He is there to remove all the obstacles and hindrances. And maybe you're listening this morning and you said, this is the God that I want to know. This is a message that I've never heard before. I want to know the God of the Bible. This morning, it's as easy as saying yes to him. God has not made it complicated. God has made it a matter of the heart. So if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you want to surrender your life to God, so that you can have eternal life with Him and that your past can begin on the path of restoration healing, then all you have to say in your heart is, yes, God, I surrender to you. Take control and come into my life. Father, thank you for your great love. Like we sang this morning, your favor and your blessing are upon us. You told Moses to speak that to us and so we receive it. We thank you now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.